filibuster is supported through patreon by listeners like you check us out at patreon.com slash filibuster we also get support from the ehrlich law office discrimination wage and litigation solutions for the district of columbia and northern virginia they handle workplace discrimination non-competition and non-solicitation litigation civil rights and a whole lot more for a free consultation go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster there's gonna come a day when you feel better your eyes are free and easy so i've got a hot real estate tip for our listeners out there anyone who's home shopping right now or interested in real estate even an investment one word for you guys yes this is a houseboat (laughs) and it's it it actually looks like a decent deal it's um a houseboat gangplank marina and it's you know it's not cheap but it's got multiple bedrooms and multiple bathrooms and uh, a bar on top and it's walking distance to buzzard point right and next to the wharf. a bar you say <laughs> yes a rooftop bar let me check uh, my pockets <laughs> also whoever buys this boat and it, it has to be one of our listeners yes needs to buy this boat and uh allow bnru slash filibuster uh pre-game post-game we will host a live parties. show from your bar on your boat if you let yes. us, honestly, though, I, no, I think... no. Even if you don't let us, we, if you buy this boat and you're a listener <laughs> yeah. to this podcast, we will storm your boat, Viking-like, and record a podcast whether you want to or not. Yeah, I, I feel like this is more of a situation where the the, the uh, listener who buys the houseboat would be asking us to leave um, rather than having having to talk us into coming out. It'd be like, have you guys been here long enough? Like, are you done? And the answer would be no. <laughs> <laughs> no, like we're, we just started. We are not done. We um, just got through. What are you drinking? We have a lot of show left here. <laughs> is what we will tell them. Right. Yeah, but buy buy that houseboat and let us come hang out. Yeah, it'll be fun. I will bring my adorable kids. If, ben will bring his adorable kid. I'll, I'll bring I some kids. Bring adorable notes. I mean, between between me and and where this uh, marina is, there might be some children that I can hang out with and just show up with. And um, I mean, also. Uh, the name for young goats is kids. So, sure. If I find a, a herd of goats that I can bring along, uh, I'll I'll bring them with me, and your boat will just have uh, goats all over it, and that'll be a thing you've got to deal with. I feel like this has gotten in a good way. No, not <laughs> <laughs> as we'll get into later. Not in a good way. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is filibuster, the Black and Red United and Hot Water Real Estate Tip Podcast. I'm Adam Taylor, joined as always by Ben Bromley, Jason Anderson. We're all from blackandredunited.com, where we talk about soccer. And that's what we're talking about tonight, except for the parts when we're not. Uh, We're going to do another Twitter box segment because we didn't get through all the questions last week, and we've got more to get to, and only one DC United game to talk about. That's this Saturday's upcoming game, uh, home away from home game in Annapolis, against the Columbus crew Saturday, 7 PM on news channel eight. If you can't be there in person because Annapolis is far and I know not all our listeners have cars. Yes. But also it's not actually as far as you think, but mentally it's very far. Yes. Uh, For, for people that live in DC, I found over the years that Annapolis uh, might as well be in Europe. Um, Annapolis is a weekend trip. It feels like it really isn't. It's um, it's very Maryland. (laughs) 
I was in Crofton, which is, I, you know, you know Crofton yes. well. Yes, I know uh, Crofton. I, I was in Crofton for one of my daughter's friend's birthday parties. Um, and it was, it was a scant half hour drive that still felt very far because yeah, I don't drive like, ever. <laughs> yeah. I, I try and, I try and explain that to people that like time wise, it really isn't that far. It's the mental hurdle that people have to get over um, from coming out of the city. Um, because there's a weird thing where if like, you've got to cross the beltway at any point, it, it feels like you've driven another extra hour. Um, that's not actually true. As someone who goes the opposite direction very frequently, it's not actually that bad. 50 is usually completely wide open. Um, and the stadium really isn't far from the exit that you have to take to get to it. So um, don't let the time. I mean, if, if you don't have a car, then it's far because, you know, you'll have to walk or um, I don't know, find a goat that uh, can carry you all the way there. That's going to be difficult for you. Um, but otherwise, it really isn't that far. Um, I should probably give people should contact me for advice on where to go before and after as well. If you want, you can uh, continue on Route 50 towards the west, and in about 10 to 12 hours, you can be back in my ancestral hometown of Cincinnati, Ohio. I, why would anybody want to do that right now? Because Cincinnati is a city that is on Route 50. But Well, I didn't know that. Thank you, Ben. Yeah. I, I had no idea. Yeah. And 52, 50 and 52 both run through uh, Cincinnati, Ohio. Well, 52, I know well. It runs through Lafayette, well, Indiana, where I went to college. That. Before we get deeper into <laughs> antiquated what highways systems, we know and don't know and where they go. <laughs> Jason, what are you drinking tonight? Uh, I have a, uh, I, I guess you would call it a Cadillac mar- margarita. Um, so I've got the triple, or the, instead of triple sec, I've got Grand Marnier. Um and I've got um, the the very last of my uh, Omeka Altos Blanco, um, which uh, I maybe overdid, uh, but it was because there was like a little tiny bit left in the bottle and I just went for it. And also I kind of prefer a tequila forward margarita at this point, so I don't mind it being more towards tequila than anything else. Uh, but yeah, uh, and, and the lime, of course, was from limes. Top shelf limes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I I mentioned last week there is a new grocery store in our neighborhood. They're known for ch- selling cheap wine, and um, that that's not terrible. And that's what I'm drinking tonight. Uh, we we had calamari for dinner, and my wife opened a bottle of Sauvignon Blanc from this grocery store. And uh, I don't know why I'm refusing to say the name. I buzz marketed it like crazy last week. Um, but yeah, I'm just drinking some Trader Joe's white wine. Not not the Charles Shaw, the the half step up from from two buck Chuck. It's nice. It's not bad. Cool. Decent little table wine. Ben, of wine. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> so um, I drank a lot of wine this weekend because my parents were in town and they love wine. And uh, we had uh, two buck Chuck's cousin. Um, we have Aldi here in Richmond, Virginia, and so. Uh, they have a lot of house wine as well that is well-priced. And we had, I think it's called Bridge Road Vineyards. Uh, but tonight, I am not drinking any of that. I'm drinking one of Richmond, Virginia's finest craft breweries. Uh, I'm drinking Hardywood Park Brewery's uh, Bourbon Crew, which is uh, 
a beer aged in bourbon barrels, uh, obviously. It's one of their classic bourbon barrel aged beers. Uh, they've had it for five or six years now. And um, it's it's one of my favorite of Hardywood's, uh, Hardywood's beers. If you have the opportunity, I know they now distribute in Northern Virginia. So drink some Hardywood beer, y'all. I do love a good uh, bourbon barrel aged beer. Uh, if, yes. If if the, if it's pulled off correctly, it usually turns yes. out to be a really really good thing. It's yeah. not. It doesn't seem like it's that high of a degree of difficulty either. So I've only had a few ones or a few of them where I'm like, ah, oh, this could have been better. Yeah. I think a lot of it depends on, like, I, with with bourbon barrels with bourbon in it, the temperature control and the you have to have changes in temperature. That's how you work the the bourbon in and out of the, the wood. I think you can overdo it with, with beer yeah, in there. So, so, some of them are, you too can underdo it. Sure. You can. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's various things that go, they can go wrong. So it is a skill, but yeah, it's, you know, it's the most difficult. Yeah. If I you think can, yeah, it. if you can, especially if you are affiliated with the distillery or you have their advice there, you, you should be able to do it because I think it's much harder to age bourbon correctly than it is to, you know, finish beer in, in a bourbon barrel. It's also apparently harder to pick good college basketball this, outcomes than this uh, hard it used to be. <laughs> We're going into the Twitter box, people. <laughs> the first question is from, from our own, Ryan Kiefer, uh, who who does yeoman's work for us at Black and Red United, you've heard him here on this podcast. He he's demanding an oral history of the process that resulted in my current Twitter pick at the underscore AMT. Give me a pity follow um, because I need it right now. I'm in a dark place because my my picture is well, Jason. How would you describe it? It's your. Um, Frankenstein's monster of a creation. Andy work. Uh, for, first of all, I would describe it as accurate uh, <laughs> more than any other word. Uh, <laughs> it is the opposite of that. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, I guess if we're doing an oral history, I, I had this idea that that uh, we could get some kind of fun going by uh, getting it. You know, we talk college basketball occasionally. Every, everyone, almost everyone on the staff has some team that they pull for. Um, My team is the worst. True, but we haven't we haven't had a chance for Ben to pick William and Mary to win uh, in the first round, regardless of the fact that they're up against a number one seed or something like that. Um, I'm also now the- sad. Like, like I'm glad UMBC won, but I'm also sad that they robbed William and Mary of the chance of getting to the tournament for the first time and then beating a uh, number one seed as a 16 for the first time. But you know they. Well, did this is what pass. happens when you when you sleep on the for too long. Someone's gonna gonna shoot their shot yeah, before you get 160 exactly. opportunities or whatever. Um, yeah. But yeah. Uh, so so I put together a, a bracket group, and I guess like a little over half of us threw in a, a, a bracket, and the idea was that the winner would get to um, change the Twitter profile of whoever did the absolute worst. So for most of the people that entered, nothing would happen. Um, being bad or good didn't really matter. Um, but if you were very good or very bad, uh, there were consequences. Um, and uh, it started well for Adam. 
It did. Um, he had the best uh, first round of everybody, um, which is no... It's funny because the, the way the bracket pools always work is that the most games on the first couple of days, it's 32 games that, that um, go off and... But each uh, round is worth the same total number of points. Yeah, so each uh, game so becomes more doing significant. A great job. And, and this is the, the classic thing with brackets is that you get you get so strung out on picking like a six versus 11 game um, when it ultimately doesn't matter that much uh, if you don't see either of them going that far. Um, and this is where things came undone for Adam is because he did very well in the, I, I don't know how much time he spent. I don't know if he spent too much time thinking about his first round. I know this is not his first uh, rodeo as far as picking a bracket goes. Um, but uh over time, uh, he saw uh, and uh, oh, by things over time, fell apart for me in, in the second half of the Sweet Sixteen. That's yeah. so, so like, Sunday, even the, the Sunday first day of the first weekend. No, um, no, 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 no. The, the, the Friday of the second weekend. Like, okay, the first okay. after I had the best first round in the group, and um, I was the still in first place very, after yeah. the second round. So I spent the entire um, entire first week. I was I was feeling real good. And and then the first day of the Sweet Sixteen happens, and I think I lost uh, Gonzaga, who I had in the the final four. But otherwise, I was still Gonzaga. otherwise I was still pretty good. Yeah, uh, I mean Gonzaga next year is going to be a top five team at the beginning of the year. They were set up to go to, to exceed their season. Don't get caught up, they, get caught up on future uh, world histories. I mean, they're yeah. Um, <laughs> and then the second day of the Sweet Sixteen happened, and everything fell yeah. apart and then you the elite eight happened and it got and, and i was done after the elite yeah. eight I, I lost all my final four teams it was bad but really this story begins years ago when <laughs> we when during a recording of this here podcast ben and jason decided that goats had a place on this show and i was not involved in that decision and i objected Which, to that decision and i, I don't remained, even remember the actual I don't even remember the actual reason why goats came up uh, or why you objected, uh, which uh, it, now it doesn't matter. Um, it's like the Hatfield and Mc- Hatfields and McCoys. We don't remember what the issue is at all. Um, we just know. My legal, advice, our my legal advice to you is that you shouldn't remember why it happened. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, I, my, my profile picture is now a picture of me <laughs> and a picture of a goat inside a heart that says AMT plus goat together forever. It is my, <laughs> I would say eternal shame, but it's really only going to last two weeks. Yes. Um, uh, I, I, I do want to say uh, I, I right when this was finished, it was finalized. I spent some time making a GIF out of several still photos um, so that it would up, appear to be a, a much better presentation. Um, but Twitter apparently stopped allowing GIF uh, profile photos in like 2013, which was which the I right decision. Know. I didn't know that that. Uh, so apparently, what happens? I did some reading. Uh, if if you want, if you wanted to, or if you do have a GIF as your profile photo, if you change it at all, you can never change it back. They will not allow it. Um, so uh, yeah, so I made that. I spent time on this GIF without looking into whether it would be possible to make it work, including looking up the uh, parameters of how it used to be, um, the the pixel uh, maximums, all that stuff. The recommended sizes for getting the best uh bang for your buck out of your gif i looked into all of that um i looked up multiple gif making tools uh to get it right uh and then it all turned out to be a complete waste of time um so i I kind of paid for uh my my victory in its own way i lost about two hours of my (laughs) life 
uh, I did tweet the GIF out, and I do of enjoy course. it, and I probably will tweet it again um, over and over uh, because it's pretty awesome. But, uh, yeah, so I had to come up with a new plan, and then I got busy, so a few days went by with nothing. Um, Adam's being a good sport about it's two weeks, I guess, from the day he was given the uh, the image uh, instead of just saying it's two weeks from the end because otherwise it would be almost over already. Yeah, I, I, I feel like part of my shame, my obligation in shame is to, you know, own it, tweet, try to tweet more with this picture than I have because I've fallen off of Twitter largely in, in the last couple of years. Well, kids will do that. Uh, so now I'm, I'm trying to find time to advertise my shame because that shamed. is what you, I grew up Catholic. That's what you do with Twitter more. I have. This is this is shame on multiple levels. This is a little bit of a shameception. Um, let's uh, let's move on. We have an actual soccer question next from Murr, uh, longtime listener at Moore DCU M U R R DCU on Twitter, asks us uh, at filibuster DCU. Could any current or recent MLS coach get more offensive production and goals if they were manager? Uh, just wondering what the ceiling could be given the current forward core. Uh, DC United hasn't, they're about middle of the pack, I think, on goal scoring right now in MLS. They have uh, five goals from five games, which isn't great, but it's uh, a sight better than Seattle, for instance, who has no goals through three games. Um, they, they may have fallen a little bit behind middle of the pack now. They, they are ahead of Toronto, who only has three goals, and the Union, who only have three goals. But, um, there's definitely room for improvement uh, here. Ben, do you think this is a, a case where it, we've heard a lot and we've said a lot uh, over recent years that Ben Olsen is probably the best quality manager that DC United could get given the constraints um, of RFK, of the budget, of the training facility, or lack thereof. But but given the fact that all of those things are changing, um, albeit somewhat slower than many people would like, uh, there's a possibility that DC, DC United could get somebody else to actually accept the job if they were to offer it to somebody else. Is there anyone else in MLS you think could get more out of this team, especially on the offensive side? Yes, I, I think there is. A, a, like at this point right now, uh, it's. I, I think Ben Olsen can definitely turn it around, but... I think there are other people with this team at this moment right now who could do uh, the same or better. Uh, I know he's not a popular name right now, but I think Caleb Porter could do some decent stuff with this team. Um, and yeah, I think... Who else do I think? I, I mean, I'm, I'm loath to name names. Uh we could bring back uh, former national team coaches. I think a former national team coach uh, who was also a former DC United coach could also do some interesting things with this team. But I, I, more so than specific names, I think that now that the team is willing to spend more money, I think that they're, they would be able to get more, uh, more different kinds of coaches. Uh, Lucien Favre uh, was apparently a finalist for the job in 2010, but didn't take it. I think you could get a coach of that level nowadays. 
I th- and like I said, Ben Olsen can def- has the definite uh, uh, opportunity to turn it around, but this job is no longer the uh, it no longer has the stigma that it used to have. So I think there are opportunities and there are possibilities that uh, that things could change based on this job and this role and this team and what was previously acceptable is no longer you can't tread water like that anymore i agree with you i think on all counts uh well maybe not all the specifics um but i agree with you that that i think ben olsen can get more out of this group than than he has so far this year um and that there are people in mls who who could as well i think someone like tata martino could could probably well, get some course. out. I think he would want. Even at this point, we're not getting Tata Martino. Right, but he's a guy in MLS, and that was the the yeah, question. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, I'm not sure Caleb Porter would would get that much more, or Bruce Arena. They both favored more pragmatic uh, attacks, uh, and in the case of Bruce Arena, had very high priced talent to to make things happen uh, at the end of his tenure in MLS with with the galaxy. So I'm not sure either of them is, is who I would turn to. I would look at Tata Martino. Um, I, I might look at Bob Bradley as well at LAFC. Um, those are the ones may, maybe Greg Berhalter. Uh, those are the ones I would look at as potentially getting more production out of this group. Uh I'll 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 be short. I'll keep it to three names that we haven't mentioned. I would have said Burhalter, by the way. Um, but uh, I'll, I'll add three names that uh, I'm not necessarily the fondest of, but I think that they would be able to do more with this team because of Gary who they Smith. are as coaches. Um, what was that, Ben? <laughs> Gary Smith. I believe you mean not Nashville quite. Soccer Club yes. manager Gary um, Smith. Though, though I do think Gary Smith, regardless of the aesthetic, MLS Cup winner Gary Smith. Yeah. Definitely should have been given another chance in the league compared to some of the other people that have been rehired this decade. Uh, He'll be back him. next year, I think. But any case, in any case, that's not. He was not going to be one of the names on my list. <laughs> um, the people I, I would name uh, are guys like Jesse Marsh and Peter Vermes, um, who have made oh, high sure. pressure a hallmark of what they do, and it's not necessarily. It's it's funny because people tend to think of them as more attractive to watch uh, in terms of the, the final product uh, than they actually are. But we're talking about getting more out of a team, meaning more effective at winning soccer games. Um, and I think that if DC United, I, I think DC United needs to become a relentless high press team because I think they have the players to do it. I don't think they have the players to become the kind of team that beats you on technique and creativity. Um, but I do think the elements are closer to being there to get the job done with just outworking uh, and outfighting teams. And, you know, we we talk about fight has almost become a pejorative with this team because of um, the ideas around the term Benny Ball, which I would I'm, I'm again going to take time to mention doesn't mean anything. Uh, it doesn't actually mean anything other than you, you have to filter it through who's saying it. And thus, it's not actually a useful term, so people shouldn't use it. Um, but uh, I, I do think that if this team became a high press to just pressing teams to the nth degree, I think they would be much better. Um, I think that 
uh, to a certain extent, also needs to take the reins off. And we'll probably get into this about Columbus because I'm feeling this specifically towards Columbus this weekend. Um, but I think high pressure needs to be the name of the game for the, this roster. Um, and I, I would not saying it would be perfect, but it would be better than what we're seeing right now. Um, I think I said I would name three. Uh, and I realizing now that you already mentioned Tata Martino, so I'm going to cut it back to two. Okay. Well, I'm just gonna, I'm just going to jump in and just say that we goof on Peter Vermees a lot on the show because his his persona and his uh, SKC teams are so unlikable. But damn, if he isn't a good coach, yeah. Like I, I don't mean, want I don't want him to be a good coach, but he just is. I mean, I was I was a Peter Vermees skeptic for from the time he he pushed Kurt Anolfo out of that job uh, for the first couple of years, and um, I was proven dramatically wrong. <laughs> as it turns I mean, out, Vermees but, has done a fantastic job uh, creating a system. People give Greg Berhalter credit for creating a system uh, in Columbus, and he he definitely has. But Vermees has every bit as much created a system yeah. in in. Kansas city and has been flexible at times changing the, the emphasis of that system. And now he had this year, he has himself what looks like a pretty good team. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, my personal criticism to Vermees have always been more about the fact that he insists that they play, um, aesthetically pleasing soccer, which I think you can argue they don't because the defining tactic of their whole team is tackling somebody else, which is to say, destroying somebody else's attempt to play soccer. Um, but they are very, very effective. Um, and they're very effective despite not having, like they've been among the top six or seven teams over and over again without having a top six or seven roster on paper, uh, which means he's getting more out of his group than other teams. Um, they have their share of transfer errors, uh, transfer market errors, but they've also managed to still repeatedly make the playoffs. Um, they've had years where they couldn't score a goal to save their lives and they still made the playoffs. Um, and I think around here, at least I think that people would be pretty excited about a team that they could rely on to make the find a way into the playoffs, regardless of how um, good or bad they are going forward. Um, I think that would be a very useful thing to have around. Um, it, it Vermi strikes me as the kind of guy that you you really like when he's in charge of your team, but you don't like if he's in charge of anybody else. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I think that this roster, while I do have some issues with it, there are coaches around the league that could do better. Absolutely. Next question comes from our friend Kristen Knowles from the Vocal Minority Podcast up there in Toronto. Has Adam realized that goats are great? Is he feeling less shame and more goat love? Hard no. That's a big no. Uh, is this question open to all of us? No, it's not. I'm moving on. <laughs> the next one comes from the uh, from a fantastically named Twitter account, Parasaurolophus, one of the the underrated dinosaurs out there. I have a three year old. I know uh, from dinosaurs, and Parasaurolophus is a like sleep- the dinosaur train. Yeah. Oh, I love the dinosaur train. My kid oh, I loves. hate the dinosaur oh, train. Oh, dinosaur train. Give me the Lily me, hates dinosaur train. Give me eight hours of dinosaur train over half an hour of Paw Patrol no, every no. day of the week. Well, well, luckily we have not dealt with Paw Patrol yet. Yeah. It, also, the, yeah. The, the one that Lily hates the most, she actually hates Bob the Builder the most. Like Old Bob actively, the Builder or new Bob the Builder? No, new, new, new Bob the Builder just actively like yelled until we changed the channel. Wow. New Bob the Builder is way more tolerable than old Bob the Builder. 
I, I believe that, but she still hated it. It's weird, hunky Bob the Builder, but it's still better yeah. than whatever that just old one me, was. Just give me Daniel Tiger. Yeah, I I, I okay. love me some Daniel Tiger. Anything from okay. uh, Fred Rogers, I'm, I'm here for. <laughs> enough, enough. Move it to the question, please. Parasaurolophus, who is at uh, Lophus89 on Twitter, uh, asks us, in 10 I, years, will DC United be yet. back in the position of being outspent because Audi Field is too small to keep up with teams like Atlanta and Seattle. So will the small size of the stadium on Buzzard Point be uh, an albatross around DC United's neck going forward? Jason, what do you think? Uh, I'm not too worried about the size of the stadium. Um, I I really don't think... um, I I think that the folks that are worried about this are maybe a little too worried about it. Um, I I don't know that ticket sales and revenue are necessarily linked to why Atlanta and Seattle uh, spend the money that they do. Um, I think their ownership um, finds a way to spend the money regardless of, you know, Atlanta was spending money before they even knew what they were going to get uh, in terms of their fan base and, and ticket sales. Um, So I'm not all that worried. They're also, I mean, Toronto FC, uh, BMO field isn't that much bigger than uh, Audi field. And yet they find a way to spend the money. Um, I think in MLS, it's a lot more about is your ownership actually willing to spend the money? It's not about, it's not the traditional model where we think, you know, a team with revenue of of a certain level can spend a certain amount. And so, um, you know, a team like uh, Arsenal, for example, builds a stadium and, you know, it hurts their ability to spend for years and years because they have to pay that back. Um, I don't think in MLS it works like that. Um, A lot of teams build stadiums that they're comfortable with building. And it's sort of a disconnect from the, the amount of money they put towards the soccer side. Um, So I'm not, I'm not too worried about Audi field being too small. Um, That, that really hasn't been a worry for me. I'm, I, it's really down to whether, the folks that own the team are willing to put the money in uh, on their own because ultimately that's where um, that's where that decision to sign, you know, whoever it is that comes in and requires a $5 million package between salary and transfer fee and all that. Um, that's where those players are going to come from. It's, it's a willingness to spend. It's not necessarily down to purely revenue. I, I don't think they're worried about it as much uh, as, as fans are quite frankly. I I agree. I think uh, I'm willing to take Tom Hunt at his word. He's the uh, the COO of of DC United. And a few years ago, at a, a fan event in Arlington, he told a bar full of DC United season ticket holders, supporters, that um, when the stadium opened, DC United would be a top five revenue team in MLS because of basically they they figured out how to squeeze every red cent out of the stadium part, some of it from ticket prices, but not all Um, ticket prices didn't go up as much as I think I expected they would. And a lot of people did, Uh, but from corporate suites, from sponsorships, because you're going to have the the Eagle bank club, it's Audi field. It's there's going to be another, there's going to be so many, yeah, Heineken. There's going to be so many brand activations at this stadium that Jason's head is going to explode the first time he goes in there. But every one of those 
It's actually every the single brand activation that bothers me <laughs> even more than the brands themselves. <laughs> every single one of those activities is going is putting money into the coffers of DC United. Uh, I think it's it's worth noting that teams like Seattle and LA have a very different spending strategy than teams like Atlanta uh, or even FC Dallas do. Uh, as far as the the LAs and Seattles, they spend and they don't expect to get that money back on the transfer market. They're buying Zlatan. They're buying Dempsey. They're, they're buying Obafemi Martin. Um, they're, they're getting guys who can help out for several years and then might make one more stop on a free transfer or a, a, a low level transfer. Um, whereas Atlanta is going out and buying Miguel Amiron, uh, Ezekiel Barco with the full expectation of selling them on. And they're, you can argue they're overspending, at least by MLS precedent for, for some of these guys, but they, they plan to make that money back and reinvest it into the team in the future. And both of those strategies, at least in those markets, have allowed them to f- draw huge crowds, which is fantastic for them. But I, I think that attendance is going to be less of a revenue driver as the league moves forward attendance is not the dominant uh source of revenue for any other major league in in the u.s or you know in major soccer leagues uh around the world it's more and more media rights and i think you're you're going to see more even more focus on tv and streaming rights going forward and if dc united can actually start making money on media rights then you know then we might see some real fun happen or if the team decides that they they want to exist at an equilibrium like atlanta where they are investing money planning to make it back in the future and taking financial risks on players then that could get fun for us too but those are those are ifs those aren't guarantees but um i agree either way i agree with jason that i don't think it'll be an albatross because you're still going to have chicago you're still going to have fc dallas um, you're still going to have Philadelphia and New England and, and teams like that that aren't making a ton of money. And it is completely dependent on whether the owner wants to spend the money, regardless of the revenue stream. Uh, I'll just add that um, on the point of bringing in younger players with the expectation that they're going to move on and you're going to profit, uh, Paul Ariola uh, was yep, brought in absolutely. at his age uh, because the, the idea is that you know, down the road, like he, I don't expect him to be here for 10 years. Um, I think the idea United went with is much more on the Atlanta. It's a smaller scale. Of course, it's not $15 million or whatever it was to bring Barco in. Um, but the idea is if we spend three now and we sell him for five later, um, that's really good business. Um, now, I don't know that that's actually going to pan out, but that's, you know, that's the risk um, that you take. But no, I think that's the, that's the model that if they're going with one model or the other, it's more the Atlanta model. It just might be on a smaller scale. Uh, Next question comes from uh, exiled MLS on Twitter at exiled underscore MLS. If you want to follow him, he asks us at filibuster DCU. Uh, DC United should be getting a lot more production out of its sole designated player, don't you think? Um, speaking of Paul Ariola, uh, he this that that was the 
we had a hard pivot before. This is a, a very nice soft pivot. Yeah, this one this one feeds right into it. Yeah, um, Paul Ariola hasn't his whole career hasn't really been about production. He spent a lot of time at wing back rather than a winger attacking midfield uh, in his time in with Cholos in Mexico. But this year, I think um, it hasn't just been, been him. It's, it's been everyone, but I would agree with exiled MLS that we want more uh, production out of him. And I know someone else who agrees with that is Paul Ariola. He, he essentially said as much to, to Steve Goff of the Washington post. Yeah. I mean, I feel like uh DP designation or not, he and Emil Assad have to be producing at a higher level. And for this team to be successful with the forwards that they have at the current moment, uh, those wingers and uh, Lucho Acosta, the, they all have to be performing at a pretty high level for this team to succeed. And they're not currently, and it needs to be better. And it's not just this team that's that's on the line. I mean, all of those guys are young guys, and their future careers are on the line too. So they have as much incentive as the team does to improve. So hopefully they find out a way to make it work. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I do agree that with the initial point, I, I'm not sure I, I, if there's one player on the team that I'm actually satisfied with um, in 2018 so far, it's probably, Emil Assad's probably top of that list. Yeah, um, that's fair. I think he's done about as good as you possibly can do, uh, given the circumstances. Um, but Ariola, it's got to be, it's not just, you know, it's one thing to, you know, the the book on him was always that he was very effective, but not necessarily a guy that um, puts up a ton of goals and assists. And he was talking last year about how he just needed to be um, more effective in, in those terms. Um, but so far in 2018, I think we just need to get back to um, Paul Ariola having a, a, a strong effect on games, a strong positive impact on games. Um, because I think, there have been a lot of games where he hasn't really been able to, to make a substantial impact. He's been, you know, a little, I don't want to say anonymous on the season, but it's not far from that. Um, you know, some of it hasn't been his fault. You know, he could have an assist from, uh, there are a couple times where he set up something and it just, you know, I think against Columbus last time, it was his pass that sent Maddox through, which should have been one nothing. And instead Maddox took a bad first touch and we didn't even get a shot out of it. Um, but that was the only thing that he did in that game. That was of, of note, the, the game kind of passed him by a little bit. Um, and, and I think that he does need to step up his play as an individual. I also am concerned um, that United isn't necessarily following the best, uh, the best processes to get the most out of him. Um, they've had trouble in a couple games finding their wingers. There was a, um, I want to say against, I, I want to say it was against Columbus that Yamil Assad was not really getting much, uh, in the way of the ball. He scored a goal, but he just wasn't getting many touches. And I think United is struggling a little bit to get their wingers, the ball often enough. Um, I want to see them get better at that side of things, because I think if you feed, of the ball and and you force the game into his area more often you're going to get good things out of it it's just that 
he hasn't necessarily been able to force uh, the game to happen on his terms without the help of the the players around him. And the team around him hasn't necessarily maximized his talents. I think the only game that he really was truly effective in was off the bench against Houston uh, at the soccerplex. Mm-hmm. I think he was part of that game turning around. Um, but we need that from the opening whistle. And we also need to see the players, especially in central midfield, getting him the ball in better spots more regularly. I think that's a major and not, not just central midfield, but I'd also go to Nick Dalion as well. Um, you know, it, it's a holistic, uh, organic system and, um, the players are going to feed Ariola the ball on the right wing. The most often are central midfield and right back. So those, those players in particular, but the team as a whole needs to do a better job of giving him the opportunity to do well. Um, and he needs to do better. Once those opportunities do come, he needs to be better. So it's sort of a, it's a two way street right now. And, and yeah, they definitely need to get better out of him because, he is a national team caliber player for a reason. And right now we don't see that. Our next question comes from at SMC ultra on, on Twitter, who just wants to say how much he loves at the underscore AMT's new avatar. That's all. Thanks buddy. <laughs> appreciate, appreciate your support it's, in this difficult we, time. We love it too. It's because Adam and goat uh, are the best relationship going right now. Clearly, that that must be it. Uh, <laughs> next question, uh, good friend of the show, Matt Doyle from MLSsoccer.com asks us, on a scale of 1 to 2013, how sad are we right now? And I know some people who are pretty close to, to 2013 sad, but I'm not there yet. I, I think there's a few. Well, number one, I'm hopelessly optimistic at almost all times. Um, so that's part of why I'm not there yet. And, and I admit that, but I think there's also been some, some circumstances, the, the road trip, the, the fact that the game was the, the one home game was in Maryland and the second home game this weekend will be in Annapolis. Uh, and the, the fact that other teams that have had this situation, when they eventually do put it together, it, it comes together in a really big way. And so I'm not, I'm not ready to call this another season like that one just yet. Right now, I am. I, right now, I'm at 2014 level. It was a bad start to the season, but they made moves in April, and then the, AKA acquiring Chris Rolf, and their April moves turned out to uh, fix the season and change it enough that they went on a really great run. So I'm waiting to see what happens. Basically, I'm waiting to see what happens in April, uh, and go from there it could either be at the end of april i might either be on a 2014 groove or i could be on a 2010 groove well we'll we'll see what happens uh i would say um i mean obviously i I don't think there's a single dc united fan that's satisfied or or not said um but 2013, I mean, the roster was, I think by this point in the season, it was clear that the roster was just not good and there was no solving it. Um, That wasn't a roster that you could fix unless you just threw a ton of money at it, which we knew wasn't going to happen. But the bigger issue in 2013 was that uh, in 
mid-April 2013, we didn't know if there would be a DC United in 2018 or not. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the stadium issue was still, there was an existential crisis there. So uh, automatically, it, this is better just on the basis of, we do know there's going to be a team uh, next season because they built a stadium. It, it's a physical uh, testimony to the, the team sticking around. Um, I think the roster is better this year than in 2013. Um, oh, for sure. Uh, and, and I think that United has actually, you know, as the, the reason it's been such a frustrating season um, is that they've actually come close to getting some things right. Um, they've had some games. I mean, the game against Columbus, we're, we'll get into again um, in the next segment, but they, they, they were close to getting out in front in that game. They were close to managing it the way it needed to be in the first half. It just Columbus was a little better at finishing and United was a little more mistake prone. Um, in 2013, it just would have been like, well, we're done. Um, we gave up a goal and therefore there's no coming back from this because this team doesn't have the ability to come back from anything. Um, this, the current team has been f- frustrating rather than hopeless. Um, if that can makes I, sense. Can I jump ahead, in ben? some breaking news? I mean, it won't be breaking by the time people hear this. No, it won't be, but uh, apparently, uh, uh, our, our good friend Ryan Kiefer just retweeted this. Apparently, the rumor is that a billionaire is buying into DC United to buy out Eric Tohir with uh, Jason Levy. Jason Levy Whoa. and this billionaire, Patrick uh, Sunshiong, are buying out Eric Tohir. He's a co-owner of the Lakers. Wow. So, that's just me looking at Twitter while I podcast. We'll have much more about this if this actually happens on the website going forward. He apparently also recently bought the LA Times. Um, That's the first thing that comes up when you Google him. Uh, Okay. So this is going to take some... Okay. This will take a lot of processing. We have no... no I wish this news had not come out after 10 (laughs) o'clock on Monday. Uh, yeah, billionaires, exactly. if you're listening, billionaires, please do your things <laughs> at times that we can actually address it. Also, um, email us filibusterpodcast at gmail dot com. We would like to talk to you. Yeah, if you, it, I mean, yeah, billionaires, any billionaires, any billionaires, we would like to talk to you. Elon Musk, who's digging a tunnel within a stone's throw of my house right now, call me, email me, we'll chat, we'll talk soccer, it'll be fun. <laughs> Um, That's probably as good a place to end the first segment as any. Yeah, we were going to get to uh, Jimmy's question about a DC United all-time well, we hair team, but I think I think we've we've gone on long enough. Nick we've gone very very long. Yeah, Nick DeLeon, Jaime Moreno's on that team. I think Echeverry's Marco on that Echeverri team. Is at top of the list. Yeah, Ben Olsen's a sleeper on that team with that floppy do he had for a while. Uh, we can get in deeper in another time. Uh, for now, we're going to take a quick break. Ben and I are going to talk children's TV. Stick around. This is Filibuster. The Filibuster, filibuster the Filibuster podcast? Yes. It's oh, a podcast on. about Filibuster. <laughs> That's what it is at this point. Stick around, please. Please don't go. Hey, Ben, um, you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment, would you? You can tell uh, me. Depends. I mean, well, I should ask you. I mean, is are goats hostile? 
Uh, I think ghosts are, are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But, but if this were a hostile work environment, or if I were trying to steal your wages or, or do something else oh, nefarious in a, I'm really not, uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the District of Columbia or Northern Virginia. I, I do. It's the Ehrlich Law Office. It is the Ehrlich Law Office. Uh, they they offer discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions in Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia, which means I can totally create a hostile work environment for Jason. Except, no, he, they, they wouldn't want me to say that. That would be bad. I do not want to create a hostile work environment for anyone. But Jason couldn't call them nonetheless because he lives in Maryland. Sorry, Jason. I'll fight my way through this. All right. <laughs> Uh, they handle workplace discrimination, wage theft, uh, non-compete clauses, and uh, non-solicitation litigation. They handle civil rights and government takings and disability and education law. They handle a lot of things. And if you are interested in a free consultation, head to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster. Thank you all who made it this far in the show. DC United will play their second and final home away from home match this year, uh, this Saturday, welcoming the Columbus crew to Annapolis, Maryland, which, as Jason discussed earlier, is closer than you think it is to wherever it is you are right now. Dear listener, kickoff is at seven o'clock. If you can't make it out to Army Navy State or sorry, Navy Marine Corps Stadium, uh, it'll be on News Channel 8 in the DC immediate area and MLS Live further out. Sinclair affiliates or Sinclair owned stations in the region. Uh, check your lo- local listings. Uh, one thing that I think hasn't been discussed probably for good reason on this one is that this is a stadium that is used to having supporters stand for the entire game. And I think that's worth mentioning. Of course, Barbrava and Screaming Eagles and District Ultras will not be wearing Navy dress white uniforms as they stand for the whole game in this one. But I think it was a, I thought it was a neat parallel that nobody's been talking about. I've never actually, or I shouldn't say I've never been to a Navy football game. I've been to one once, but it was years and years ago. If the supporters groups like organized and and had a large contingent wearing dress whites, even if they're not Navy uniforms, just like wearing all white for no reason whatsoever, I would find that entertaining given, given the venue and its its history. If you ever have seen a Navy football game on on TV or something like the army Navy game. Uh, they, they stand for the whole game in their dress uniforms. And it's, it's an interesting site. Um, the only other connection I can think of, and this is more with the national team is, uh, the, I believe that we will win chant, I think actually started, uh, at a Navy football game. It was not a, a soccer chant originally. It was a Navy football chant. That, I'm pretty uh, sure it is a Navy chant. I'm not sure if it was football, but it, it probably was football. Yeah, yeah, it was a Navy chant that then mm. spread around because it turns out uh, members of the Navy get deployed to different places and end up not all in Annapolis. And so they take some of their traditions with them. And that was one that uh, permeated American soccer culture. Uh, but it got its start in Annapolis. Uh, and so that was, I thought, another cool parallel to soccer. Now we're going to talk about the actual game, uh, DC United, Columbus Crew. Uh, 
very early in the season meeting for the second time. And I think final time this year. I don't think we have a third game against Columbus. I might be off on that. Uh, but we saw DC United come out very aggressively against the crew in the last game um, and somewhat successfully for the first 15 minutes and, and even beyond that uh, in Columbus, pressing them all the way to their own end line. Uh, and it was, it was really fun to watch for the opening stages until it's kind of started to, to fall apart. Um, in contrast, last week, the Columbus crew lost one, nothing uh, on the road to the Chicago fire who did their best 2015 DC United impression. One shot, one kill. Uh, they had one shot on goal the entire game and, and Nemanja Nikolic made it count and they won one to nothing as a result. Um, Ben, which which approach do you think has the better chance of success? And separately, though related, which would you rather see from DC United this weekend? I mean, I'd rather see a a, a, a complete soccer performance and not a one shot, one kill uh, soccer performance. Uh, this team has not played great so far this year. Uh, that's not controversial to say, and. They need to start building towards good things. I think the one shot, one kill Montreal impact performance was that was in like September uh, of that season. Right. Uh, So at this point in the season, I need to see more building and more uh, success rather than uh, bland winningness. I do agree. Uh, I think both for process and result reasons. I think this DC United team is not built to uh, to, to play in a shell successfully, as we I, I think as we've seen at moments. Uh, I think they're better playing on the front foot, which is a little bit new for DC United, um, and and that's more fun to watch as a partisan as well. Um, and I think going forward, that will also lead to a higher level of success than trying to play on the back foot in a shell and just waiting for a moment of magic from Fabian Espindola or his current equivalent. Uh, I, I do think the front foot approach is, is the way to go. And Jason, I think you agree. Yeah. um, I mean, first of all, if, if they want to sit in and defend uh, and hope for a Chicago style thing where they're getting, their one good look and they're burying it um, to do that. As we've seen with past DC United teams, you have to be really good at not making mistakes. And this, this year's team is bad at not making mistakes. Um, so yeah, I, I think they need to go uh, step out. Uh, I think they need to high press. This game is being played on turf, um, which I think needs to be uh I think we need to take note of that. I think it makes Columbus doing what they like to do a little more difficult. Um, And I think United, I I mean, I haven't seen soccer played on this turf, so I can't speak too much about uh, how good or bad it is, but we're talking about a college football stadiums turf field Um, in the, in the realm of turf. We're talking less uh, Portland Timbers and probably more New England revolution or Vancouver, Vancouver Whitecaps turf. Um, that's what I'm expecting anyway. Um, and that makes it harder to do what Columbus likes to do. And I think United needs to go and press them and make this game hectic and frantic. 
um, because that takes away more. It takes more from Columbus than it does from DC United. And we have to be honest, Columbus is one of the best teams in the league. DC United is not. So how do you beat a team that's that's by all right, you know, by all indicators better than you? Well, if you can get them to play something that isn't quite their game and is a little more your game, then all of a sudden you you level the playing field a little bit. So um, I think um, United shouldn't be intimidated by the fact that the last time they faced Columbus, they went out and pressed them and they found themselves down 3-1 at halftime. Um, I think the process they went through in that game was actually pretty reasonable. I thought that they gave themselves the chances to get out in front. They just weren't able to turn it into goals, but don't, you, you shouldn't throw away, um, the process because the results were bad. Um, I think in an, on another day, United get themselves out in front. Maybe they do a slightly better job. You know, two of those three Columbus goals were just pure individual errors. And then the third was a set piece. So they're all goals that are avoidable. Um, so if you can just cut out the avoidable mistakes and do a little bit better on the offensive end, all of a sudden you're looking at a lead at halftime rather than a three, one deficit. And then Columbus just takes, takes the air out of the ball for the second half. Um, there, no one's better in the league um, at that than Columbus. So you can't find yourself trailing uh, for too long of a period of time because Columbus will just make you chase for 90 minutes. Um, but yeah, I, I think there's something to be said for going out and, and, not being afraid, not playing with fear in this game. I think they have to go and make Columbus uncomfortable. They have to take the game to Columbus uh, because I think that's the best way to get Columbus off of what they do well. So what do you want to see in in that game in Columbus, Greg Berhalter, and actually really more the players on the field for Columbus adapted to DC United's press. And even when they tried to press high, it it didn't come off after that that opening spell. What should DC United have learned from that game, both Ben Olsen and and the players? Uh, I mean, uh, the, a main thing they need to learn is uh, how to defend when the press doesn't work. Um, when you press the other team and they break your pressure, what do you do after that? Um, I thought United was a little rocky in that, especially once Columbus kind of came to grips with the fact that this wasn't a, a stereotypical bunkering DC United road game. Um, once it became clear that they were going to continue pressing Columbus in that first half, uh, the crew did a good job of figuring out that they were not in their normal game and doing a little better. And all of a sudden they were breaking that pressure. United needs to figure out you know, if Columbus breaks the first line of pressure, what happens? Um, because it doesn't just have to be, well, they broke our first line of pressure. Now it, it's up to the gods now as to whether this becomes a goal or not. Um, that's not a good process. That's a process that ends with getting blown out. Um, United needs to be good at establishing, you know, multiple lines where they, they send that first line of pressure and maybe Columbus plays out of it, but maybe then United's able to at least slow them down and delay um, and make it difficult to uh, to carry on because then if you make it difficult on Columbus, they're not really going to go that far. It's, you you've got them so you've got them in a spot where you can slow them down and not necessarily be uh, constantly in this defensive uh, horror show that that is what turned out last time. Um, but I think that's the main point of emphasis. It just needs to be the press can't just be a 
a one shot deal. It, it, you, you don't just want to throw your haymaker and if it lands, then great. And if not, then you're screwed. Um, you really need layers to what you're doing. Um, and, and I think that Columbus can be pressed effectively. Chicago uh, profited from a goalkeeping mistake from Zach Steffen, which is, you know, a turnover with the ball at his feet. Um, that resulted from the press. Right. And this is these opportunities are going to be there for United. Some of it is just, you know, you've got to turn those moments into success. You can't waste, uh, especially those first couple of opportunities. Um, the last time these two teams played, United did waste a few opportunities and they paid for it dearly. Um, those first one or two looks, something's got to go in. Um, it's asking a lot, you know, it's a difficult thing, but that's the the tough task of playing a team. That's one of the best in the league is that they're putting you to that level of challenge. You've got to figure out a way to get yourself out in front against them. Um, Chicago, I don't know how much we can learn from them because they were playing this, um, you know, Bastian Schweinsteiger was a sweeper for a third of the game. And for two thirds of the game, he wasn't DC United is not going to feel the sweeper for any portion of the game they're not going to play in that setup they don't have anyone to do that it's not going to happen so um, Chris Durkin for sweeper <laughs> totally an analog to Bastian Schweinsteiger right they've had oh. equivalent careers up to this point um <laughs> but yeah uh I I think the main thing United needs to do is they need to find a way to make this more of a hectic transition game and less of Columbus spreading the field out and controlling possession and controlling the tempo um I think they I think it's important that United finds a way to make this game a little more frantic than other games we've seen, which, you know, it's asking that it's asking a lot because they've had trouble imposing their will on, on opponents. They've done it for 15 minutes, 20 minutes. They need to get this happening for an extended period of time. They need it for more than 15 minutes. Um, and if they don't control 90 minutes of game, the game, which is against Columbus is probably not going to happen. When they are in control, they need to make it pay off. Um, it can't just be, well, they look good for 15 minutes, but it's still 0-0. Zero, zero. Um, they've got to make those periods of the game turn into a goal or uh, you know, a card or a red card for Columbus. They've got to get something tangible out of their periods of dominance because Columbus is, is good enough that they can adjust. They're one of the few teams in the league that can adjust and change what they do and improve. We saw that in the last game where... I maintain that they were much better and in much more control in the second half when they made changes than they were, even though the score, you know, the first half was three, one, the second half was zero, zero Columbus dominated the second half. Whereas the first half was basically a coin toss. Um, And United needs to make that coin toss happen again, because it's not always, they're not always going to find themselves down three, one against Columbus. Um, They're going to get chances and they're, you know, you, you want to be in a situation where you have some hope of winning. Whereas, that second half was basically a giant putting their hand on a shorter person's head who's just swinging their arms helplessly uh, like an old cartoon. Um, you don't want to be in that scenario. I will say, I, I agree. Um, I, I think the the more open and transition-based this game is, the better chance DC United has. That said, their transition defense has to be a lot better than it's been because if they are going to press like that, um, there are going to be opportunities for the crew in transition and uh we, that that seems to be the weakest part of joseph mora's game that i've seen so far is his decision making uh in transition defense um and and we have a couple of center backs who who 
while not necessarily slow, are not elite speedsters uh, and and might have trouble keeping up with a Jassy Zardes in, in transition or a Pedro Santos in transition. Uh, so I, I want to see some of that, some, some of the structure remain uh, in the defensive shape remain to be built upon in transition um, for DC United this week. I think that's going to be a, an important point for the team. Uh, one guy who could help with that could be back. He's, he's not a defender, but Russell Knauss lives. He's in training. He has an outside shot to to play this week. He probably won't, but I'm saying there's a chance. I mean, uh, go ahead, Ben. No, just uh, getting Russell Knauss back is going to be the biggest uh, addition uh, so far of this season. He proved in the end of last season his worth and has proved in his absence so far this season that his worth is doubly that much. So announced for MVP. <laughs> I mean, not, no, but I mean, it's for DC United MVP. That's not very far off. And uh, we, we can, once he comes back, we can talk about our preferred combinations uh, with him uh, in central midfield. If we want uh, Chris Durkin, if we want Junior Moreno, if we want uh, Ulysses Segura, we, we can get into the details of that. But I think at this point we can all agree that uh, Russell Knauss is the is the best option so far at the central midfield, and it has to be built around him. I think last year it became apparent after a few games at after the transfer window uh, the, the, the big moves that, that saw DC needed DC United bring in Knaus and Ariola and Zoltan Stieber and, uh, Miranda as well. It, it became clear that, that Knaus might have low key been the best pick. I don't think any of us were quite at the level of Greg Roach, uh, who, who tweeted at us that he bought a Russell Knaus Jersey after his second DC United match ever. Uh, he he tweeted that at us to to throw some shade at our another friend of ours, Sebastian Salazar, who who told him that jump in the gun there, bra. I think is how you have to read that. Um, I just wanted to to shout out Greg and and Sebi because that that's a fun story. And I, the two I don't of them nec- should be the two of we we should hear more from the two of them. I don't necessarily think it's jump in the gun. I mean. I mean, after two games, uh, yeah, Roach is bragging there, 100% bragging that he got it right and that Sebi was was slow to recognize the the importance that Canals was going to play. And some of that is just, I mean, we found ourselves in a situation where with Canals injured, you have Junior Moreno playing in a brand new league uh, in in a position that has been pretty rough for brand new players to just jump into, you know, sight unseen. Um, And when he got hurt, Chris Durkin took over as a starter. And we saw that while Durkin brings some very good things to the table, there's also some defensive concerns there um, that are hard to get around. Um, And and I think it's mostly a situation where we're seeing that Canals's uh, absence is underlining just how important he really is. Um, the fact that he can combine uh, the fact that Moreno tends to complete a ton of passes, but then doesn't make any mistakes. I think ad- adding that 
mistake-free element that Moreno hasn't been able to get yet. Um, I think Canales' vision for passing is a little better. It's closer to what Durkin's is. It's not quite where Durkin's is. Um, but on the other hand, United could probably use that person in, in the middle who is completing a lot of passes and not necessarily looking to open up the game every single time. Um, so yeah, uh, I personally don't expect him to play much of a role against Columbus. I think the game's coming a little too early for him. Uh, but at the same time, um, if he can, if he can be given a few minutes, um, if United finds themselves in a position where they could use an extra defensive midfielder to protect the lead, that's, that's great news, first of all. Um, and then if they can bring Canals in and, and have him plug up the middle, um, that's an, that's an ideal scenario for this weekend, but, um, getting him back, uh, whether it's, whether it's for Saturday, you know, maybe the United has been, there's a chance that they've been soft pedaling the whole thing and they could just be like, no, no, he's ready to go. Um, I don't think that's going to happen. I think it's a very low chance of that happening, but we can't rule it out. Um, but, uh, the sooner, the better with, with him on the field, because I think, uh, that has been a position that United has suffered at this season. It hasn't gone well, regardless of who they've put in that position, who they've put next to that person. Um, it's been rough. And I think that once you get canals out there, I think, you know, the team is going to improve just like it did last year, where you, you add that higher end defensive midfield and all of a sudden everyone else finds it easier to do what they're trying to do. And Ben hinted that there's a lot of permutations that can come with Knaus's return, uh, whether he's at the six or the eight, who the other guy is. We got into that a little bit last week. So go back and listen to that show if you're interested in that. And I'm sure we will get into it in the, the future as well. Once there are more data points to go from uh, let's, let's end the show talking about some possible position battles because the, the team's performance has definitely left the door open to potential changes. Um, we, we discussed Paul Ariola in the last segment. Let's, let's start with him. Uh, he's the, the highest paid player on the team. He's made an impact as a sub against Houston, but as a starter hasn't, made as much uh, of an impression this season as anyone would like, I think, including him um, or certainly including him. He's, he's got high ambitions. He wants to succeed in this league and, and beyond. And I know he's not going to be happy and hopefully that, that drives him to, to improve in some of the ways, Jason, you discussed in the last segment. Yeah. Um, it- I'm not convinced he's actually going to get the start, but um, you know, if he does, that this has to be a this has to be a big game for him. Um, it needs to be a game where United clearly is benefiting from his presence on the field, and that we're justifying the fact that Zoltan Stieber isn't starting or something along those lines. Because, um, you know, that's that's kind of the, the when you have four high end players in that line of the field and one of them isn't getting to play, um, everyone else that's getting to play needs to really make make it clear why they're getting to play. Um, and I think Yamil Assad has done a good job of that. I think Lucho Acosta has done an okay job of that. But on the right side, it's been pretty hit or miss at best. Um, of course, you know we do have to say Stieber hasn't exactly... Um, 
made the best case for himself when he's gotten minutes in the regular season. The player that was dominating those preseason games wasn't necessarily hasn't necessarily carried it over into the regular season. Um, but yeah, if uh, Ariola is getting the start, he's got to be beating his man on a regular basis. He's got to be getting around the left back, whether it's Milton Valenzuela or Hector Jimenez. He's got to get around that player on a regular basis. He's got to pressure um, their left back and their left center back. He's got to be effective in that that sphere as well. Um, he needs to be able to open up the field with his runs off the ball. We know he's not necessarily a visionary passer who can open up the game that way, but if he's making good runs, he can make it easier on the players who are going to do the passing um, to pick him out, and all of a sudden the game opens up that way. Um, I think he just needs to be effective, in, you know, more effective in most things that he's good at. Um, I think it's in there. I don't think it's not. It's not that he's um, a lesser player than we thought. He's just not been able to turn his talents as a player into a tangible product, and we need to see it. And I'm not saying he has to go out and get a bunch of assists or goals this weekend. Um, I just I want to see him beating people. I want to see him making the game easier for the players around him because that's kind of the Paul Areola resume um, is that through his speed, his hard work, his willingness to get dirty, um, that he can make things easier for everyone else around him, that he can be um, a sort of a force multiplier for the the attack around him. Um, but we haven't seen it that yet this season. I think it's in there. Um, and I think he's ca- perfectly capable of doing it. We just need to see him actually go out and do it. Yeah, I, I'd imagine that Assad is probably going to start. Acosta's probably going to start. And then Ariola may or may not. It it could be Zoltan Stieber in that spot as opposed to Ariola. We don't, we'll, we'll know an hour before kickoff. But at, at this point, like Jason said, he's he's not a lock, even though coming into the season, he seemed like the most likely guy to be the first name on the team sheet, at least in that attacking band of midfield. Um, he hasn't played like that this year. Uh, another open question at this point is up top. Darren Maddox has been the preferred starter this year, but also hasn't necessarily uh, done enough to keep that spot. That said, Patrick Mullins has definitely not done enough to displace him uh, with any certainty. Um, <laughs> To to put it lightly, uh, Maddox, I think, has been the better player, but that he hasn't been at a level that has shut the door on Patrick Mullins, especially if the team uh, wants to play with a little bit more of a hold-up presence and less of a guy who runs the channels nine times out of ten. Um, so, Ben, I'm curious who, who you want to see up top in this game. It, it, I don't know. Uh, I mean, at this point, I want to see what Patrick Mullins does, but I also want to see what Bruno Miranda does, because the striker play has been bad so far this season. It's been, uh, there's been a lot of things that we've hoped for that haven't panned out, and we all knew that DC United needed more striker play at the beginning of the season, and it's just been bad, so... We're we're a couple of games in, and Darren Maddox has been the bare minimum of okay and has scored some goals, but he hasn't been what DC United has needed. Uh, Patrick Mullins definitely hasn't been what the team needed, so 
it's it's an open question at this point. I would like to see uh, at the end of the game uh, Bruno Miranda get ten or fifteen minutes to see what he can do at this point. I I, I will add a new name. Last week I I talked about Bobby Wood, Joel Campbell. Watch uh, rumors now connecting Fernando Torres to MLS. No, who knows what happens in no. this summer window? Hey, with no. a a new actual billionaire owner, who who the hell knows? No. I'm just yeah. You're probably right. I mean, anyway. we we are in a world where United um, apparently talked to Wayne Rooney uh, fairly extensively last year. So who knows? And was very close to landing Gary Medell. Right. Um, which is two different. That that would have been two different levels of signing. Um, but still, you know, they, I think there's the the opportunity for them to enter the Torres uh, pursuit is not completely off the. I I wouldn't put it at a high chance or even a modest ch- chance, but it's not. It I, I'm saying it's better than a zero percent chance of that being uh, a thing they try and do. Um, I would this... prefer going for a different, i.e., younger um, player if you're going to spend that kind of money. Um, but I also know that they need to sell the stadium. They need to sell some jerseys and things like that. So uh, a big name older European player is not completely preposterous, I guess is what I'm getting at. Yeah. The, the theme of this segment seems to be one line and dumb and dumber. Um, just being said in different ways over and over again. Uh, one of our listeners uh, brought up center backs. And uh, we didn't get to his question in the Twitter box. He's Chris Gibson at Chris Gibson, DC. He says he knows that center backs haven't been the biggest problem with the defense, but uh, do Kofi Opare and or Jalen Robinson deserve a run out at this point or or in the near future if things don't get better? He also asks uh, me specifically on a scale of one to go, how bad am I at picking basketball teams? I think my uh, my new Twitter profile speaks for itself on that front. But on the center back question, we have Frederick Briant and Steve Birnbaum right now. Jason would you replace either of them with Opari or Robinson? Not at this point. I mean, the center backs haven't really been the problem. Um, You know, there are four positions that I haven't really been too upset with, and it's been goalkeeper, the center backs, and left wing. Um, Everywhere else has been an issue, but um, just to some degree. But I I don't think Frederick Briant and Steve Birnbaum have been outstanding. Uh, but I do, I think that Kofi Opare or Jalen Robinson could step in and do a better job. No, I I don't think that, um, I think, uh, that partnership has been trying to make do with some not necessarily ideal situations going on in front of them and around them. Um, so yeah, uh, I'm not looking for a center back change. I really don't think that that's going to, to make things better. I think that would be more of a. Uh, a change that tends to cause more uncertainty than it than it adds. Um, I, I think right now, because United looks like a team that's still a work in progress, and they're still maybe they shouldn't, but they do. Um, so we have to accept that fact. And um, the fact that the center backs have been adequate to to and they've been steady, I think, is a major thing. Um, I think this team needs to look for players who have been steady and steadily okay um, and build from there rather than trying to change everything. Um, 
if we're talking about right back, if you want to bring up O'Neal Fisher versus Nick DeLeon, I'm much more receptive to that. But I don't think a center back change is needed right now at all. Ben, anything else you want to talk about on this one? Any other positions? Steve Clark versus David Osted? No, I don't, I don't want to talk about that. It's pretty obvious. <laughs> uh, I'm inclined to agree. Thank you all for listening. This has been filibuster. Uh, find us at blackandredunited.com slash filibuster. Uh, if you want to support us financially, we're at patreon.com slash filibuster. We're pretty close to the commitment we made where we would have to produce bonus content. Um, I'm not totally sure what that looks like at this point, but I'll, we will have to figure we it out pretty quickly. We are $6 short. Yeah, if someone pledges uh, that $6, then then I we will have a decision to make uh, on what that looks like. So get us over that hump if you... A- Adam you will have to... to not, not a decision. Adam will have to produce some kind of bonus content for you. We may force and, him to produce goat content. You don't know. Ben and Jason will also have to produce bonus content. That'll be for patrons it will definitely It will definitely be goat content. <laughs> That'll be for patrons only. We won't subject the uh, non-volunteers to that sort of... Torture is a strong word. Goat content. I'm not going to call it that. We're on Twitter, at FilibusterDCU for the podcast, at Black and Red U for the website. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com, especially if you're a billionaire who wants to get on a soccer podcast, because we will totally talk to you about that. And if you are a billionaire who's not actually related to soccer, we'll we'll call it a bonus episode and, and make it for paying customers only. That makes sense somehow, I think. <laughs> Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud. Uh, the Internet Archive, Google Play, wherever podcasts are found. Ratings and reviews are always appreciated. I'm told they make a difference. So um, because I believe everything I hear on the Internet, please, I, I will encourage you to to leave ratings and and positive reviews. Uh, mostly, though, the biggest thing you can do is is tell a friend about the show. That's the best way to build our audience and and create a bigger community for you folks to interact with. Um, and to get more crazy questions in future Twitter boxes. Thank you again for listening. For Jason and Ben, I'm Adam, and we'll talk to you real soon. Say goodbye, Jason. Adam and Goat together forever. Together forever. Your eyes are free and easy on that day. Float from branch to branch. Lighter than Just when that day is coming, who can say?